read it again, uh, from Genesis chapter 4 and verse 9. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, we're looking at these uh, verses uh, today, and my subject is uh, sin uh, found out. Sin found out. Obviously, uh, Cain's a sin which he tried to hide, hide from others. Maybe he thought he could hide from God, but it was found out and discovered. And we're looking at uh, what happened to him, his punishment, and what followed uh, in his line uh, later. But we left it last week with, uh, we looked last week at the events which led up to that dreadful first murder in the world, how Cain uh, took his brother Abel's life in such a violent way. It came to him. It all started when, the, uh, when they both brought those offerings and Cain's offering was rejected because it didn't come in God's appointed way and Abel's was accepted because he came bringing that sacrifice which God had revealed uh, to people even at that early stage that they must come with a sacrifice which typified the Lord Jesus Christ uh, coming into the world, making an atonement for sinners, taking away that sin. Abel believed it, Cain didn't. Cain thought, I can come to God, I can merit favor with God, I can merit righteousness because I'm a good person and I work hard and I can merit his favor and he will, my offering will be accepted. But it wasn't. It was rejected. Uh, Abel came trusting in that which God had revealed, acknowledging that there was nothing in him that he could merit salvation. He was wholly dependent on God's grace, free mercy from God, earned for him by another, earned for him by that promised Messiah that uh, with one eye of faith he looked forward to and believed in and trusted in. Well, Cain wasn't happy that he was rejected, but he could have also had the same blessing from God. He also could have known acceptance with God, but he was too proud to humble himself, too proud to come and ask for free forgiveness from God, too proud to come the way that Abel had come. And so uh, he goes on holding on to his self-righteousness. Anger built up, we saw in his heart. Anger towards God, anger towards his brother. And in the end, the anger developed into malice and hatred. And in, finally, as always happens with anger, because it's in the same family of sins, it led to murder. And murder of his own uh, brother, uh, uh, Abel, his younger brother. Well, that's, that's what we, we looked at. And we said how... It's, this is the, the first example of uh, enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, between the righteous and the unrighteous, between those who believe God and hold uh, to grace and trust only in Christ and those uh, who hold to works and a, a religion of merit and this this first example or this first uh, event is replicated time and time again 
down right down to our modern day in which we, which we live. And we shouldn't be surprised if it happens to us uh, in some way or other. Probably people won't take our lives, but there will be some enmity, animosity from the unbeliever towards the believer, especially, as we mentioned last week, the religious person who doesn't, uh, who holds very much onto his, his merit and his own righteousness and doesn't like to be told really about a grace. Well, let's look at what happened as a result of that murder. Verse 9, the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? Perhaps he said this in the environment of the Lord's presence. We read in verse 16 that Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. Perhaps it was something that there was, it was a, a regular event. The family may be coming before the Lord. And maybe Cain came with Abel together with his brother. And the Lord says, where is Abel uh, thy brother? Well, the Lord knew exactly what had happened to Abel. The Lord knew that uh, Cain had slain him and that most likely he had tried to cover up his crime by burying the body as so many people try uh, even today, murderers are also doing the same thing, trying to cover their tracks. But God questions him here. Where is Abel thy brother? With a view to bringing him to confession and as well as to conviction. He has, just like he did with uh, Adam, his father, he questioned him to, to bring it out of him, to make him uh, say what he had done wrong. But there's nothing like that. Uh, no no, no confession uh, emanates, no confession comes from uh, Cain. Where is Abel thy brother? The one that you've grown up with, the one that you've played together with, the one that you've communicated with and spent time with for many years together, the one that you've loved and, uh, uh, in both ways, the one you've worked together with. Where, where is he? It's put in that, uh, in that way by the Lord. But Cain... Well, he makes no confession. In fact, his response is an insolent one. On the one hand, he lies uh, outrightly to God. I know not, he says. It's a lie. And then, am I my brother's keeper? Am I my, is that my role? To look after him, to protect him, to care for him, to watch over him? Is there, am I in this position? You, maybe you should ask my parents. Ask Adam and Eve. They're the ones. They're his parents. Ask them. Also here, it, it sounds like there's an insinuation against God. You're his keeper. You're the one who should be looking after him. And, and he's your responsibility, not mine. After all, he's your favorite, isn't he? Adam, uh, uh, Abel was your favorite. He's the, you're, you should be protecting him. And that uh, he comes out in this very rude and insolent way. He speaks to God. And it's terrible that he does that. Well, with what ease, friends, he must have been thinking, I got the better of Abel. With what ease I was able to overcome him in the field. And there was, I was much stronger than him and to take his life. There is also something of that going on in his mind. And it seems like that often, isn't it, when we look at church history, it seems sometimes the 
the unbelieving person, when he rises up against the, the believer, he does it with such ease. It seems as if there is no God to intervene for the righteous person. And he's able to overcome him and overpower him with such uh, an ease and get the better of him. The believer sometimes seems so weak, like Abel here. He seems such a weak person. And yet God is on his side. And God takes note of what's happened to him. And God will uh, vindicate uh, his uh, name and the crime uh, done against him as he takes note of all that has been happened to the, in the blood of the righteous martyrs all down through the centuries. Verse 10, what hast thou done? I know what you have done. But he asks, what have, what have you done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth out unto me uh, from the ground. The, what's it crying for? What's the blood of, uh, of Abel crying for? Of vengeance, isn't it? And justice, as well as observing, taking notice of what's happened, is crying for vengeance. And uh, we read something of this also in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 24, where we read, uh, we have come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Abel's blood cried out for justice, for vengeance, Christ's blood speaks better things, speaks of forgiveness for the sinner, pardon for the undeserving. Well, just before we move on here, it's, uh, somebody has pointed out that uh, the word blood here in the Hebrew is actually in the plural. So thy brother's bloods cry out, uh, it's saying. And it's when we look at it in that way, it, it captures a little bit more of the horror of murder and the terrible crime that has uh, occurred. Because not only has a life been taken, not only has Abel lost his life, but he has deprived uh, Abel of a family and a line. You think of all the descendants and, uh, that will come, uh, the posterity of Adam. All that is also now, as it were, laid upon Cain's shoulders. We again see this, isn't it? We hear in America, I think it's quite common these days, a murder trial. And at the end of the murder trial, well, you will have victim statements. And you will have people, you know, directly addressing uh, the, the murderer. And often you will hear the very sad, uh, sad to see but you hear like mothers or fathers, you know, saying that well, you've, you've uh, not only you've robbed me of the son whom, whom I loved, you've robbed me of the chance of seeing him ever getting married, you've robbed me of grandchildren, I'll never be able to hold grandchildren. And one murder is not just one life, but it's affecting so many other lives as well. And it's a, a terrible and a, a horrific uh, crime uh, indeed. Well... We move on uh, to see that uh, the Lord says uh, to Cain, and now thou art cursed uh, from the earth. Uh, he's, he's going to be punished for his crimes. God is going to uh, punish him. God is going to banish him uh, from, uh, from, the, from his presence. But his life will, will be spared. His life maybe shouldn't have been spared. Blood for blood, 
maybe it would be, it would be a, a better uh, way to go about it. But, and Cain seems to have an idea of this. He seems to know that he shouldn't live. He still hasn't confessed. He still hasn't admitted his crime. But he seems to know that because of what he's done, uh, his life shouldn't be spared. In, in, uh, after the sentence is passed, in verse end of verse six, 14, he says, Everyone that findeth me shall slay me. He seems to know. That's, what's, that's what uh, a punishment that's fitting for the crime, that he himself should lose his life. But he is spared uh, by God. Why is he spared? Well, uh, to, to, make, uh, to, make, uh, to make him an example, we could say, uh, to others. To make an, his life from now on, it's going to be very hard. It's going to be a very difficult life because of his crime, because of his murder. And what, the way he's going to be lived is going to be noticed by others. And so his life, for one reason why his life is spared is to prevent others uh, from uh, following uh, his example. But he's not acquitted. He's not let off the hook. He's not let off scot-free here. Uh, he is going to be punished. And his punishments, we see, are twofold. Firstly, he's going to be cursed uh, from the earth. Verse 11, now art thou cursed uh, from the earth. And the meaning of that is uh, expanded on in verse 12. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. In other words, from now on, it's going to be even harder for you uh, to uh, get, get uh, fruit, produce uh, from the land. He was a farmer. He was, you could say, a professional farmer, a very successful one before this. In spite of the, the initial curse, he knew how to grow, grow crops. That was, after all, the first offering that he brought to God was the fruit of the ground. This was his job. This was uh, the, uh, the area that he was so familiar with and so good at. But this is the area in which God, he would now feel God's displeasure the most in, uh, in a very, the very small returns that the earth would yield to him. He would plow, he would sow the seed, but he would get very little back uh, in return. And we may ask, wasn't this Adam's punishment? In chapter 3, in verse 17 and 18, which you looked at, that the, the ground was, th was cursed with thorns and thistles. Yes, it's something similar, but something much more uh, is uh, here uh, placed upon Cain. His efforts are going to yield very meager, if any, uh, results. And they're going to be even more. Wherever he goes, he may go to one place and say, let me try here, and he may plant here, but adverse conditions, a drought or something, and he's, the, the, the land is barren, and he moves to another place, and again he's affected there as well. And everywhere he goes, he's, he's going to be faced with this kind of a little yield from his allotment, his patch of land. So that's one part of his punishment. And the other was that he was to be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. A wanderer, aimless wanderer in the earth, a displaced person, banished from the family home, banished especially from the presence of the Lord. A troubled life he was going to have. A, 
a life with no peace, no rest. There's no, no rest uh, for uh, the wicked. Uh, the wicked is troubled. Uh, the one who, uh, and he's going to be an example of this, a person who is uh, not at ease wherever uh, he goes. Well, verse 13, look at Cain's response. What does he say? Lord, have mercy upon me. Oh, Lord, forgive me. Lord, take away my sin. I'm sorry I ever did this. I don't know what got into me. Sin got too, too much of a hold of me. No, nothing of the sort. Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. His only concern is about what's going to happen to him, about the punishment that he's going to face. There's no concern about his sin at all. There's still no confession, no repentance. This is so unjust, he said. God, you're being so unfair. God, you're being so severe with me in treating me in this way, in banishing me from the face of, to the face of the earth, and from thy face I'll be hid. My punishment is greater than I can bear. Well, his life was going to be difficult, and his life was going to be under threat, but there's no change uh, in him, no uh, true repentance over uh, his slaying of his brother. In fact, he's more worried about his own life. What's going to happen to me? As we've said at the end of verse 14, he says, It shall come to pass that everyone that findeth me shall slay me. Uh, now, who is he referring to? When he says, Everyone that findeth me shall slay me. And uh, some people uh, some people say, Aha! Look, it says, everyone that findeth me shall slay me. That means that there were other people on the earth as well as Adam's family. That there were people on the earth who are non, who, who didn't uh, derive, who didn't come from uh, Adam's family. You see, they say, Adam was not the only one around. Well, how do we explain, uh, explain this? Well, it's not too difficult really to explain. Uh, the answer is, the explanation is fairly simple. Uh, Adam and Eve had other brothers and sisters, as I'm sure you know. They had uh, many uh, other brothers and sisters. Don't think that uh, at this time there were only uh, Abel who just, just been killed and Cain, and then soon uh, Seth is going to come into the picture as well. Don't think they only had three children. In chapter 5 and verse 3, uh, we read that Adam was 130 years old when he begat Seth. Seth. So it's highly unlikely that uh, they went for 130 years and just had those three children, especially since God had told them and given them that mandate to be fruitful and to multiply and fill the earth. So they would, they would have done that, and God would have blessed them. And, and no doubt they were, and, and we read this in verse 4, all the days that Adam lived, sorry, verse 4, the days of Adam after he had begotten Seth were 800 years, and he begat sons and daughters. So definitely they were, the family was big and very big. <laughs> Somebody did say maybe they also gave birth to, to twins and triplets uh, more often than uh, they do uh, today in order to help them uh, multiply. Well, there may be something uh, in that. But... Uh, uh, and so these, these were the other people 
uh, being uh, referred uh, to. And of course, it must be them, isn't it, in a sense, because they would be the ones who would want vengeance. The family would want vengeance, not strangers as necessarily, but uh, it makes sense to think of them uh, as the ones who would slay, who would be out to slay uh, Cain. So Cain is so worried uh, about uh, this. And in verse 15, the Lord gives him uh, some assurance that his life would be preserved. The Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should uh, kill him. So as we said, God spares him that he may be an example to others that the way of transgressors is hard. Well, what is this sign? We don't really know, to be honest, what the sign is. And maybe you have an idea. Uh, some, some things that have been put forward are a physical sign uh, in, uh, in Cain. Uh, maybe he was given a ghastly countenance uh, to scare people away from him. Or <laughs> a somewhat little bit ridiculous one, but it's been mentioned a few times that he was given a horn in his forehead. Uh, you may have heard of that. Or it may have been just a, a sign for uh, Cain. Some, uh, some commentators think of this, the Hebrew word in verse 15, not being a, a, a set a mark upon Cain, but set a mark for Cain. Not upon him, not in him, but for him. The Lord set a mark for Cain. In other words, he did a miracle before him. And he did something to assure him that uh, his life wouldn't be uh, taken uh, from him. But the truth is, friends, we don't uh, really know uh, exactly what this sign is. So verse 16, Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Went out from the presence of the Lord, the place where God manifest himself in grace and he came to fellowship and bless his people, the place where he was worshipped. He went out from that place and he seems to do it so easily. He seems to do it without any reluctance. Now that he knows that his life is safe, he seems to just go out from the presence of God and be at a distance from him and his blessing and not be worried about it. How can it be? Oh, how sad it is, isn't it, when we see people not coming to the house of God and not being worried, being unconcerned about it, thinking it doesn't matter if they don't come to God's house, if they're not in God's presence, in the place of his blessing. And they're happy to live like that. Cain is like this, happy now to live or content to live a life without God. Now that at least his earthly situation is somewhat resolved in his mind, and his fear is somewhat alleviated, he doesn't mind. There's no mourning of his spiritual loss. What a sad condition. Can you see how he's going further downhill uh, as uh, coming away from all the blessings that he had? Well, verse, verses 17 to 24, uh, we move on. Uh, give us, relate to us the six generations that are following uh, Cain. Verse 17, And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare uh, Enoch. 
Now, I hope you don't mind, I'm just going to say a little bit about this here because a lot of people talk about this and a lot of people mention it in witnessing. Uh, where did Cain get his wife from? Where did he get his wife from? This often comes up and uh, we are often asked about it and people think they can stump us with this question, but there is an answer for it. And uh, we've alluded to it, in fact, already. But I did hear as well and re read about a Christian who was witnessing uh, to another, uh, to an acquaintance of his, and he tried repeatedly to win this, this friend uh, to, to Christ, but this friend kept refusing until even his deathbed, he refused to believe uh, in the Lord. And the reason, the thing that kept him from believing was this question. What happened? Where did Cain get his wife from? And it's so ridiculous, isn't it? I think to myself, well, why, why would such a question hinder you uh, from uh, coming uh, to the Lord? But uh, for him, it was a real issue, a real problem. And it seemed to suggest that the Bible is, is incorrect and the Bible has made a mistake. And so maybe he felt he couldn't trust it. But there is uh, an answer uh, to uh, this question. Uh, as we said already, Adam and Eve, well, they had many children. And at that time, it was permissible for a brother and a sister to marry each other. So more, more than likely, uh, Cain married one of his sisters or, or a niece of his. But it would have been somebody to whom he was closely related. Now that raises a further question. And that, and that question is, uh, why, uh, or why then they could get married and why not now? Well, I think the doctor amongst us will be able better to answer that question, uh, but it has to do with our genes, and he could uh, relate that uh, better to you. But initially, uh, our genes, well, they were somewhat uh, pure. They were somewhat free uh, from defects. But as, as you go on, those, uh, those defects build up and are passed on from generation to generation uh, down, uh, down through uh, the centuries. And so, uh, by the time of Mount Sinai, things had changed. And then the law was brought in forbidding uh, a, 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 a brother and a sister or people of close relatives to marry together. Why at that time did it change? Well, because there was more likelihood then, and I try and simplify this, but there was more likelihood then of people who had these mistakes in, the, in their genes, mutational defects, from actually uh, uh, having, having uh, children. If they got together, if got married, they would more likely produce children with these uh, defects. And so it, it was forbidden for the safety, for the benefit of the people. So uh, this, is, this is the idea, this is the meaning really uh, why initially it was uh, permissible, the genes were, were pure, they were free from these uh, mistakes, but as they went along, well, uh, these mistakes uh, were not, were, uh, these mistakes uh, increased, but uh, marriage between uh, close relatives was forbidden, marriage between those of distant relatives or distant people, less likely those mistakes would be the same, and uh, so we, we, less likely to produce uh, deformed children and other defects 
uh, also in children. So I, I hope that's uh, <laughs> a little bit clearer, but uh, maybe you can look it up uh, in, in your own time. Uh, there's a lot of material on that. But uh, let me very quickly uh, move on uh, to, to talk about the, the other things which I mentioned here. In defiance of God, Cain uh, builds a city. Not really a city, though, but just more a fortified place, a fortified and secure village. He's still fearful. He's still afraid of being attacked. And so he builds this place and settles down there. His family grows, and we uh, go down all the way to the sixth generation. And there we find these men of intelligence and skill, inventors uh, even of things. The, the word father suggests uh, inventors. And I just mentioned these in passing. Verse 20, read of Jabel. Uh, he was the first to come out, with, it seems, with the idea of living in tents, uh, movable tents going about with the, with the cattle, with the sheep. And he also made improvements in cattle farming. Verse 21, uh, Jubal uh, invented musical instruments. Uh, we read of the harp, a stringed instrument and a lyre. And uh, also an organ, which is more like a flute rather than the organ we know today. That long, slim uh, tube with holes in it. Uh, that's more the instrument which was in mind there, verse 21. And then verse 20, 22, Tubal Cain. Well, he was a, a craftsman and uh, he was an ironmonger. And he came up with all sorts of instruments of iron, no doubt, to help in farming and probably weapons as well. And verses 23 and 24, well, there we have an instance of the first instance of poetry. Uh, even, and the Hebrew parallelism, and we'll look at those words in just a second. But uh, So th even though this family was under the curse and was, uh, had, had uh, uh, turned against God, yet still we see them advancing and uh, progressing and flourishing uh, in terms of uh, earthly, everyday life. But morally, they are degenerating. They're on the, on the slide downwards. First instance, verse 19, is polygamy, where Lamech took two wives. His lust is out of control. And then, in his very own words, in verse 23 and 24, uh, he re we read, Hear my voice, he says to his wives, ye wives of Lamech, hearken unto my speech, for I have slain a man to my wounding, and a young man to my hurt. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech, Seventy and sevenfold, and uh, here again, it's it's unclear what he's actually referring to, but there's no doubt that these are violent words, fierce words that he's speaking, proud, boastful words, we could say, and uh, he may be referring uh, to a murder of an innocent person, a young man that he's already killed, or he maybe he's he's killed somebody. In self-defense, we don't know. Or maybe he's speaking in a bravado kind of manner. Or if anyone rises up against me and attempts even to fight with me and to attack me, I'll kill him. I'll kill him. And, uh, and I'll get away with it. Verse 24, he presumptuously thinks that uh, he will get away with it as Cain uh, 
seemingly uh, uh, got away with, with it. Well, friends, we see a similar thing today, isn't it? This scene is repeated before our very own eyes in our modern world, where we see, in one sense, our earthly life is improving, and people are inventing very good things which make our life easier, in a sense. And we have now a motor car to drive us from A to B, and we can get from one country to another country, and we have all the mob cons in our homes to make it easier for us, and things are better. But on the other hand, morally, where are we? We are declining. Morally, our society is on that downward slope. Violence is increasing. Marriage has been redefined. Gender issues are a a big thing now. Our children are being taught all sorts of things in the schools which are against uh, biblical standards. Morally, where are we, friends? Just like in the beginning uh, here. Well, uh, let me just very quickly uh, close. My time is already gone, but verse 25 to 26 things, uh, the narrative reverts back to Adam and his wife, and uh, we read of the birth of Seth, which means appointed, and Eve sees in this child a replacement for Abel, and one through whom the promised Messiah would come. Don't know how she, she, she got that knowledge, didn't see it in all the other children that she had, but she sees it in this uh, son. And verse 26, to Seth and to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began, began men to call upon the name of the Lord. And that's speaking about the public manner, to call upon the Lord. is speaking about the public gathering of God's people to worship the Lord. The first time it's sort of intimated and given uh, to us. Well, we'll look at the rest of, we'll look at chapter 5 next week, but just in closing, to go back to Cain. What a miserable end uh, he came to. What was the start of that downward spiral? Well, his uh, unbelief, his unbelief, his refusal to accept uh, what God had appointed, refusal to accept grace, refusal uh, to come for acceptance by faith in the Redeemer, a dependence on self and personal merit. This was the start of his downfall before God. And friends, to bypass Calvary is no small thing. It's the biggest mistake a person can make. And what sad consequences there are in this life and for eternity for the person who does that.